Can anybody tell me what that symbol is? It's a greater than symbol. There's a lot of power in a greater than symbol because you're comparing two things and you're making a statement about them that one thing on one side of this symbol is greater than the other thing on the other side. So in math, you'll often see it expressed like this. X is greater than Y. Whatever X is, is greater than whatever Y is. And as long as whatever you put in the place of X is greater than whatever you put in the place of Y, then the statement is true. Now, you probably didn't come here for a math lesson, I'm guessing. But this actually corresponds to real life. Every day we are encountering situations where we are experiencing one thing being greater than another. In fact, I would say we make decisions based on one thing being greater than another. Let me give you an example. Your strength is greater than the door. So you want to go into some place. And if this is true, the door will open, right? If this is not true, you're really embarrassed. Because either you're not strong enough, or maybe the door is locked, or the classic, it says push and you're pulling or something. But either way, something's not right there. And the equation doesn't hold true. The idea of something being greater than something else has a huge influence on our lives. It's how we set priorities. We say, I'm going to spend more time here, I'm going to put more effort here, or I'm going to obey this because it is greater than whatever else may be. Let's look at a few examples. The fines are greater than the need for speeding. Granted, I'm sure we're all perfect, wonderful people and we don't need that, but for some of us weaker among us, including myself, occasionally you need to be reminded that, hey, that fine is going to cost a lot of money. And it's probably greater than whatever it is that I'm speeding for. So, you know, back off a little bit. You don't need to get a speeding ticket. How about this one? Providing for your family is greater than laziness. You wake up Monday morning, you've got things to do, you've got to go to work, and you think, ugh, I'd rather be anywhere else. Do anything. I just don't want to do it. But you say, you know what? I need to provide for my family. That is greater than my desire to want to lay in bed and do nothing. And so you get up and you get going. How about this one? Your wedding vows are greater than your selfishness. You get to a place in your marriage where you say, you know what, I, I, I kind of want to do something else. I, I, I'm not being fulfilled. I'm not getting what I want out of this. But to stop and to say, I made a vow. I made a promise. And that vow is more important and is greater than my own selfishness. So I'm going to uphold that vow. How about this one? Trusting in Christ is greater than doubt. We go through periods where maybe we're struggling with something we're reading in Scripture or something we're going through and we're saying, God, I, I have doubts, but to come back and to say, but I trust Christ. And it carries you through those times of doubts. But what if the equation starts looking more like this? And whatever that thing is that we said was greater than those other things in our life, what if we're faced with something that comes along 
and we think, maybe that's greater than that. Look at this. What if being late for work is actually greater than your fear of the fine and and the need for speeding? And so you say, I shouldn't speed because I might have to pay a fine, but if I don't, I could get fired. See how it just trumped it? Because it's greater than. What about this one? My personal happiness is greater than my need to provide for my family, which is greater than my own personal laziness because our culture says you deserve to be happy. Well, done. Call my boss. I'm not coming in because I need to be happy, so the culture keeps telling me. What about this one? My personal freedom is greater than my wedding vows and greater than my selfishness. Well, freedom is my right as an American. Freedom is is something that's owed to me. In fact, to fail to be free in our country is like to fail to be human. So I have to be free. Well, if that means that I have to ditch my spouse, then I have to because it's greater than. I think you can see how this works. What about this one? I say, well, I have doubts, but I trust in Christ and he's greater than those doubts. But then something else comes along that says, but if you trust in this, it will actually be better for you. It will get you through those difficult times. The question of what is greater than in your life is a question of faith. What is it that you are trusting in above and beyond all else? And you are saying, this in my life is greater than everything else. And maybe for you it's changing constantly. You're trying to navigate shifting priorities. I believe that the question, or at least our answer of what is greater than, shows itself in our actions. The way that we live will show what it is that we are trusting in as being greater than everything else. So today we're starting a new sermon series called Greater Than. A study of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is not an easy book, but it is packed full of important and incredible truths about the fact that Jesus Christ is greater than anything. If he is the X that is greater than, you can put anything in your life, in the world, in our culture, in the place of why, and the equation holds true. Jesus Christ is greater than all else. And it's interesting because it's written to a group of people from what we can tell in the book that appeared to be struggling. Their culture had been changing and they were tempted to give in and put something else in that place and say, well, maybe this is greater than our Christianity. Maybe this is greater than following Christ because this will help get us through. And it's really not that big a deal, is it? And Hebrews comes along and says, it absolutely is a big deal. Jesus is greater than everything. Let's start with a little bit of background to Hebrews. When we study a book of the Bible, it's good to talk about who wrote it, when did they write it, and to whom is it written, because that really helps us with the context. So when we come to Hebrews, this is very easy and kind of fun. We don't know who wrote it, and we don't know when, and we're not really sure who he wrote it to. So there you go, background's (laughs) out of the way. Now, if you've studied Hebrews at all, or if you've sat in, in other classes or heard other pastors preach about it, Maybe you've heard people offer up their ideas of who wrote it. Paul is a popular one. Um, I've heard Luke. I've heard 
uh, all sorts of ones. I really think it's important to keep in mind we don't know. Because the moment you say, we know so-and-so wrote it, therefore it means this, you've just taken your opinion and put it upon the text, and that's very dangerous. So I'm going to treat this throughout this series that we just don't know. You'll hear me refer to the author of the book of Hebrews as the author of the book of Hebrews. It's a rather long and lengthy title, but it's the most true to what we see. Uh, In terms of when it was written, again, we really don't know. It was probably written sometime between uh, the period of 60 to 70 AD. It's a time span of about 10 years. It could have been written after that. We just don't really know. But here's the thing. In many ways, because of the way Hebrews is written, it doesn't matter. Because the truths that it explains are rooted in the Old Testament, applied in the New Testament through Jesus Christ, and are timeless. And so while we might have some questions and wish that it would answer them, we don't really need to know. And what about who it was written to? Again, we're not really sure. The early church called the book to the Hebrews. That's what the Greek title literally means. We shortened it to Hebrews. But it was originally called to the Hebrews. It was a letter written to the Jewish people. And so we assume that the background, or at least the, uh, the audience of the letter, was primarily Jewish. And I think that's true. Because as you read the book of Hebrews, one of the things you see is there's a ton of Old Testament references. Lots and lots of quoting from the Old Testament. It is assumed that the readers of this letter knew their Old Testament scriptures. This is one of the reasons, as people today, this book is one of the more difficult ones to study Because sometimes we don't know our Old Testament. And so as we walk through this, I will try hard when when quotes come up, as they do often, to give you the context of that quote and why it's important in the context of the book of Hebrews. As you read Hebrews, one of the things I would challenge you privately, anytime you come across an Old Testament quote, in general, your Bible probably will have a footnote saying where it's coming from. Look up that passage. Read the verses before and after it. And you will get a much better sense of what's going on. It will take you a long time to read the book of Hebrews that way, but I think you will get a lot out of it. There are a few things that we do know about the recipients of this book, simply because of the time period in general of history that it was written to. The culture was turning against them. We know that not necessarily because we know where they lived or the specific date of the writing, but because that was true from the birth of Christ until roughly the end of the New Testament, around 95 AD. There was a gradual turning against the church from the culture at large. As I told my Sunday school class in the the New Testament overview, we need to put ourselves in the people's places. We need to think what they might have been going through, the things they might have been struggling with. We can't read this as detached people reading a textbook and just trying to pull interesting truths out of it. These were real people like you and me, struggling with real things going on in their country, their nation, in their case, an empire. They were real people with real struggles. The Jewish people were turning against the Christians. The early church was largely composed of Jewish people. And at some point, though, the Jewish people started to see that there was a tension between these followers of Christ and those that didn't accept Jesus as the Old Testament Messiah. And they were beginning to push the Jewish people out of the synagogue, out of the temple, and saying, you can't worship here. 
And so they were struggling with that and under a lot of pressure. Well, maybe I should give in on some of this stuff. Maybe Jesus is important, but not most important. And I can kind of go back so I could worship with my family and I could go back to the temple and back to the tabernacle. The Roman Empire was turning against Christians as well. There was constant pressure, and we see this not just in Hebrews, but all over the New Testament. Give in to the culture. Just, it's okay if you worship an idol. It's okay if you believe in Jesus and something else, as long as that's what you have to do to survive. And the New Testament comes back over and over again and says, no, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our Lord and our Savior. There is salvation found in no one else other than Jesus. So this is the situation that they're finding themselves in. It's a question of greater than. Is what we're going through greater than our trust in Jesus Christ? I think that we struggle with many of the same things. And what the book of Hebrews does is lift up Jesus Christ. Hold him up and explain why he is so great. So that as the readers of this original letter, and as us today, as we hear and read and study and learn and grow in the greatness of Jesus Christ, we can compare anything to Christ and always say, Christ is greater. Period. So we need to know some things about why Christ is greater, which brings us to the first major theme of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater than everything else. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the introduction, which we'll talk about next week, Jesus is presented as the greatest communication from God, a God who has spoken over and over throughout history, and yet the author of Hebrews says, this is different, because Jesus is not a messenger. He is God himself come in human flesh to dwell among us. When you see Jesus, you are seeing God. He is the greatest communication from God. In chapters 1 and 2, Jesus is greater than all angels and, correspondingly, and we'll deal with this when we get there, the law of the Old Testament. In chapters 3 and 4, Jesus is greater than Moses in the promised land. Chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is greater than the Old Testament priests. Chapters 8 through 10, Jesus is greater than the sacrifices and the Old Covenant. These were all things that the people that were receiving this book were being tempted to go back into. Tempted to say, maybe this is more important than Jesus, or at the very least, I should trust these and Jesus. And I'll just do them together. Let's look at a couple key passages for the book of Hebrews. The first is actually not in Hebrews. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. This prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, in many ways, forms the basis of the entirety of the book of Hebrews. All of Hebrews is explaining how this applies to Jesus. Let me read this for us. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This concept of a new covenant, a covenant was a a contract, a promise between God and his people. And all of scripture, all of the Jewish identity was based upon a covenant. God's promise to Abraham and then later on to Moses that they were his people. This is what we call the old covenant. But right there in the Old Testament, the prophets told about a time when God would make a new covenant. Something that was different. Something that wasn't written on stone tablets or rules put up on a wall, but rules that were written in our very hearts that we would be changed from the inside out. Jesus applied this to himself. We talk about it every time we have communion. Jesus took the cup and he shared it with disciples. And he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. And he took that passage right out of Jeremiah 31 and he applies it to himself and he says, I am the fulfillment of that promise. God is doing something new. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is one of the greatest statements of the deity of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. There are no words, I think, that can better represent the fact that Jesus is equal to God. Because the things that the author is saying here about Jesus would be absolutely inconceivable to use for anybody other than God himself. And to apply those to Jesus is to say, the reason Jesus is greater than all things is because he's God. That's the starting point. And because he's God, he was able to bring salvation. Jesus is greater than all things. And nothing can be allowed to take his place. Nothing back then and nothing today. But there's a warning there. You see, we struggle with that all the time. And I think part of it is that we say we know Jesus. We say we accept Jesus. But then when push comes to shove and the difficulties of life are our own sinful selfishness, that looks so much better than what we know to be true about Jesus because sometimes our picture of Christ is way too small. And so this theme in the book of Hebrews to talk about the greatness of Christ is so important. And my prayer through this study is that you will get a bigger picture of the greatness of Jesus Christ. So when there is any temptation of anything coming along saying this is greater than your trust in Christ, you will be able to say unequivocally, oh, I did it. No way. Christ is greater than all else. I know that to be true. If we study the book of Hebrews and do not come away with being in awe and humbly bowing down before Jesus Christ as being greater than all else, then we've missed the point. 
So that's one of my goals as we study the book of Hebrews. But Hebrews is more than just a book about Christ's greatness. It is more than just a theological textbook to put theological ideas into our minds so that we can make theological distinctions about Jesus being greater than anything else and then saying, yep, he's greater, and then walking away. To stop with the idea that Jesus is greater and to not apply that to our lives would be to miss the point of all of Scripture and certainly to miss the point of Hebrews, which brings us to the other main theme. The other main theme in the book of Hebrews is keep going. It is constant in the book. Passage after passage takes these deep theological truths about the greatness of Jesus Christ and says, because that is true, brothers and sisters in Christ, keep going. Don't get sidetracked. Don't give up. Don't quit in your following of Christ. Keep going. In many ways, the book of Hebrews is founded upon the history of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Think about what they went through, especially in the Exodus. God saves them from Egypt. Miraculously, powerfully brings them out of this huge superpower nation of Egypt. This ragtag group of Jewish people. And He saves them and brings them out. He appears to them on Mount Sinai. They encamp around the base of the mountain. They feel the earth shake. They see the sky split with lightning and the thunder rumble. And they know our God is there. And he calls up Moses. And he gives the law to Moses. He communicates with them. says, this is my relationship with you. It's going to be through you, through this tabernacle, through these priests, through these sacrifices, I will have a relationship with you. All of these things drove the Israelites to follow God, to trust Him. Day after day, especially in the wilderness, they struggled. And the call comes out constantly, remember what God did in Egypt. Remember what He did at Sinai. Remember the law. Don't give up. God is greater than what you're going through. But there's another truth about the history of Israel. You see, most of those same people that witnessed the power and the glory of God at Mount Sinai, that felt the ground shake, that experienced the exodus, they never made it to the promised land. They didn't get there. Why? Because many of them couldn't keep going. They doubted. They struggled. They wanted to go their own way. They questioned what God was doing. They put something else into that equation as being greater than God and what He was doing. And this warning throughout Hebrews rings out, don't do the same thing. The Jewish people would have looked at their religion and at Mount Sinai and what God did at the law, at the tabernacle, and said, isn't that amazing that God has done that? And the author of Hebrews is saying, yes, it is. And if that's what happened to them when they ignored it, how much more so if we ignore the very Son of God as the way of salvation today? Let's look at a couple passages. Turn to Hebrews 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. If you skip down to verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? 
Those are powerful warnings. And the warnings echo throughout this book. Keep going. There's also an encouragement. God is doing everything necessary so that you can keep going. The author says, I know you will keep going. Keep going. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Oh, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 4. I missed one. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you see the application of the truth? Because Jesus is greater than everything else. And we need to read this in a Jewish mindset. To the Jewish people, you didn't go into the presence of God. You didn't have any confidence to stand in His presence. In fact, if you were to stand in the presence of the Almighty God, you deserve to die. So a passage like this, to say, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, would have blown them away. And the reason that would ring out for why they can possibly do that is because Jesus is greater than anything that had come before. God had done something new. Therefore, they were to hold on to this. Hold firmly. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'm taking you a couple passages that are really turning points or summaries within the book of Hebrews where they take this greatness of Christ and apply it to our day-to-day lives. Starting in verse 19 of chapter 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Draw near to God through Christ, because Christ is greater than anything else. Hold unswervingly or unwaveringly. Hold on tight to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Don't allow anything to cut in. And then together, spur one another on in that direction. Christianity was never meant to be lived alone. We need each other. We're living in a fragmented, fractured world that upholds the the individual, and put so much pressure on each individual to make their own way, figure out their own course. And you come to Scripture and that's not what you see at all. God knows you better than this culture. You need the person next to you. 
and behind you and in front of you and five rows back that you've never even met yet. You need the Christian and the church down the street and the church around the world. We need to hold on to this truth together. God has given us the church so that when we're struggling and we're tempted to give in to something, brothers and sisters in Christ come together and say, no, behold our God. Christ is greater. Let's keep going together. Chapters 11 through 13 of Hebrews show us what it's like to keep going. What does it look like in in our lives? Chapter 11 is this wonderful hall of faith, these examples from the Old Testament of people that kept going even though the thing that they were trusting, God's ultimate deliverance, was never seen by them. They didn't get to see Christ. And so the author says, if they could keep going, how much more so us today that we have the life of Christ, we see the cross and the resurrection. What a privileged place we have in history. Keep going. In chapter 12, there's this heart of the application. Fix your eyes on Christ. Run with perseverance. Endure hardships and trials and protect the unity of the church. All of it based upon the greatness of Jesus Christ. Friends, we also must keep going. Their temptations, the recipients of the book, their temptations to replace Christ with something else are in some ways, in many ways, different than ours. I've never woken up one day and thought, man... You know, I'm really struggling. I just think I need a a, a lamb. If I could have a lamb that I could kill and drain its blood, I would feel so much better. I've never struggled with that. Maybe you have. Please don't raise your hand. This is, in many ways, it's very cultural to them. And this is one of the struggles of studying the book of Hebrews, is that we read Christ is greater than the Old Testament sacrificial system, and we think, okay, I'm not really struggling with that. But they are similar in some ways. You see, we are constantly bombarded with and tempted by the notion that something else will satisfy us. Something else will help us to get through the day. Something else will save us. However we want to define that. And we can so easily let go of Christ And we put our own freedom in that place and say, well, as long as I can do what I want, I'll be happy. We put our own happiness in that place and say, as long as I'm happy, then I'll be fine. We need to listen to the call that Christ is greater than all else. And we need to be challenged to keep going. Because just as back in the first century they were struggling in a culture that was turning against them and they needed to be challenged, keep going. So we today as Christians need to hear that call. Christ is just as great today as He was back then. He's never changed. We need to keep going. And so that's what we're going to look at in the book of Hebrews. And so I want to challenge you with a few closing thoughts. First of all, I encourage you throughout this sermon series, read through the book a few times. Just read the text. You can read the book of Hebrews in one sitting. It's fairly simple. Read through it. 
And then ask yourself, do you consider Christ greater than everything else in your life? Look at your actions. Look at your habits. Look at your your thought patterns. Do you consider Christ greater than everything else? Do we know enough about Christ to maintain this? Because maybe we look at it and say, oh yes, Christ is greater. And then something else comes along and we say, oh well, maybe that's actually greater. And we need to go back and learn more about Jesus. Because new ideas come along all the time. And the new always seems better. But we need to go back and say, I know Jesus is greater. I pray that we will listen to this message of Hebrews. That Christ is greater than everything else. And that we can, we must, have an unwavering hope in the incomparable Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would be encouraged through this book and the study of this book. I pray that we would be overwhelmed and blown away by the greatness of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would hear the challenge and take it to heart to keep going, to not give in to other things in our world and and other things in our culture but to say we know that the one who has promised us is faithful. Father, I pray that our lives would be an example to this world of people that are struggling in their own ways and chasing after one greater thing after the next, that we would be able to point them to Christ who never changes. They would see a hope there that they will never find anywhere else. So God, I pray, may we bow humbly before your throne. And may we say, clear away the clutter of our own thinking. May we understand fully the greatness of Jesus Christ. And then get up and keep going, following Him. In whose name we pray, Amen.